This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its six-year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Monday, January 22nd, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about some box office stuff. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? Ryan, we have not had the opportunity to do traditional box office episodes recently. We've had uh, our beekeeper spoiler discussion, and we've had like some top 10 stuff. We've had a lot of uh, interesting podcast stuff going on in the early days of 2024. So I thought it would be a good idea to sort of, if you could walk me through and sort of catch me up on some of the big box office news that have, that has happened to the movies, especially that were re- released at the very end of 2023. So let's start there. Why don't you tell me what those stories look like these days? Sure thing. Uh, and yeah, so I think that um, one of the big things, and you and I talked a lot about this, we kind of prepped like a lot, everyone sort of for what was going to happen here in that like the first chunk of 2024 has been a little rough. Um, and so what we're seeing is, yeah, some of these movies that were released at the end of 2023 are kind of carrying the load right now. In particular, I think the most surprising one, I I don't know how surprising it is to you, but to me, this is like genuinely shocking is that Wonka, the Willy Wonka musical prequel that stars Timothy Chalamet has become a, a hit, I think, bigger than anyone possibly anticipated. Um, it is now currently sitting at 531 uh, million worldwide. That makes it the ninth highest grossing movie that was released in 2023, 
uh, above Pixar's Elemental, which did $496 million, and uh, not all that far below Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, which did 567 worldwide. So uh, that's kind of stunning to me. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about that to me, Ryan, is like the Paddington movies have such a, um, a Paddington being directed by uh, Paul King, who also directed Wonka, just for those who don't know. So everybody's on the same page about this. Uh, the, the Paddington movies have such a beloved reputation among cinephiles. And I'm looking now at the Paddington 2 worldwide grosses, and it's like 230 million, a little less than 230 yeah, two, million. 227, I was going to bring that up. And like, and again, like a, a successful movie to be certain, but you know, that movie did 41 million domestic. You know, yeah, which is, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, which is, I mean, that's, that's sure. That's fine. But like it, you know, I, I mean, that's not, you know, the Wonka's done more than double this. Yeah. That's just you know? wild to think about like Wonka being a movie that, you know, seemingly was set up for to be widely hated and uh, the, the sort of um, magic of Paul King coming through and, and really like bearing itself out in the box office and like turning into, yeah, a pretty monster size hit compared to the stuff that he's directed previously. Yeah, and and especially, I mean, you and I, if anyone listened to the podcast last week, we did our big, you know, 50 movie moments of 2023 discussion, and Wonka had a couple of moments, it didn't make the, not spoiler for anybody, didn't make the list, but the fact that that movie, a movie when we all saw that trailer, we're like, what the hell is this, that that movie had a couple of moments that were in genuine contention to make that list, says a lot to me. Yeah. Um, You know, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. So I think that, you know, and uh, just to give some idea here, um, in the most recent weekend, Wonka in its sixth weekend maintained the number three spot uh, with six point seven million dollars. But that is more. We'll talk about this in a minute. But that's more of a sign of how bleak things are looking right now. But it is very good for Wonka and very good for Warner Brothers. Okay, so you said the word impressive a little while ago. Tell me about anyone but you, because you've been talking about this on our Slack channel, but I don't think we've had the opportunity to really talk about it on the podcast before. But this is something that seems to have made quite the impression on you as somebody who tracks box, box office stuff pretty closely. This is like for for box office nerds, this is like the sort of thing we we wait for where like something like this happens. And you're literally like, I can't find examples of this ever happening before. Uh, so Anyone But You is a rom-com that came out that star, uh, directed by Will Gluck, and it stars um, Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell. It came out over Christmas weekend, and I think we talked about it a bit. Um, but what has happened since the movie debuted is nothing shy of insane. So uh, just to give you an idea, in this most recent weekend, which would be its fifth, week- fifth weekend in theaters, it made $5.4 million, which put it in the fourth place pretty good respectable uh but here let's walk you through real quick how this movie's journey it opened to just six million dollars over the the christmas frame you know 25 million dollar budget a bunch of competition wonka aquaman lost king it just didn't look good uh then in its second weekend it increased its take by 46 percent taking in like 8.7 million in its third weekend it increased its take again to 9.7 million. Now you see this sometimes with movies that open in like a limited amount of theaters and then expand. This movie was playing in over 3000 theaters that whole time. I can only find a few examples ever of a movie doing this sort of thing, you know, and those movies were tremendously successful. We're talking about Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Greatest Showman, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, like massive hits. So at this point now, uh, all this to say, anyone but you has now made uh, just over a hundred million dollars worldwide after having a, what looked like a kind of terrible opening weekend. 
Um, it has legged out through pure word of mouth. Sony's marketing spend for this one appears to have been relatively modest. You know, so they didn't sink a fortune into advertising this thing to save it. It's just been people showing up. And so, yeah, it's at 64.2 million domestic. It has now made over 10 times that opening weekend. And it still seems to have gas in the tank. So it could make up to like 14 times its opening weekend before its domestic run is over. Wow. Um, this is before VOD. This is before anything else. It had a $25 million budget. Uh, you know, this is incredible. It's the highest grossing R-rated uh, rom-com since Bridget, jo- Bridget Jones' baby in like 2016. Um, <laughs> so when something like this uh, happens, Ryan, where, you know, a movie opens really low and then it it's all but written off and then goes on to become, you know, a surprise hit. Does, does something like that give you pause? Does it sort of like make you want to reframe the way that you think about this stuff because it's so, um, I don't know, it's so much of an outlier or like, because this happened last year too with, with elemental, right? Like that's the, the example, the, the sort of primary example that I hold in my mind of this happening recently. Um, but this seems like the same kind of thing. So like, how does this change, if at all, the way that you think about this stuff? Yeah, and and I think I think I try to look at patterns for things, and and I think it does give me a little pause, right? Where you're like, okay, these are exceptions; they still are not rules, but it's possible. And so I think you do have to consider that stuff. Like I I don't remember what movie it was, but it was a handful of weeks ago. You and I were talking about a movie, and I was like, I'm not prepared to write it off quite yet. But then it did sort of do what movies tend to do, and so. You know, but you do have to look at like, okay, what kind of movies are doing this? And Elemental was a family friendly, friendly animated, but it was also like a romantic comedy of sorts, which is sort of interesting. And then anyone but you has done this. But you got to look at these kind of movies that, you know, can generate that kind of word of mouth. I think like a middling action movie. I just don't think, you know, that doesn't seem super possible. But I'm looking at something like Migration right now, which is the um, Illumination's most recent movie. And mm-hmm. that only declined 15% in its most recent weekend, made $5.3 million. That opened, you know, to to just $12 million on that same weekend we were talking about in December. But it has now, you know, made its way to $191 million worldwide. So, again, we're looking at an animated movie that's kind of legging it out. But as we'll talk about in a minute, it's got a lot more to do with other factors going on right now. Main being a lack of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, th- there's a lot to consider. But, yeah, it does make me pause and it does you know it, it makes it because i think this our industry in general is sort of driven by more than i would like either negativity or like very like salacious and sort of like like eye-popping things you can say about something and you know if a movie opens to a bad opening weekend it's very easy and convenient to label it as like a bomb because that'll catch eyeballs but i'm very cautious about that stuff now like i don't know if i want to say that right away mm-hmm. you know unless it's incredibly obvious because stuff like this can happen. Yeah. Yeah. It does change my framing a little bit. Okay. So uh, are there any other movies that sort of came out either at the very end of last year or at the very beginning of this year that you think would be maybe worth talking about now? Yeah. A couple quick ones. Um, I think Aquaman and the last kingdom uh, look, there's by no stretch of the imagination is this movie going to be a success. And I'm kind of tired of people trying to frame it as such, but, but it's, it's, uh, it's made 396 million worldwide. It's going to cross 400 here shortly. I don't know how much more it'll do because it's going to it's coming to like VOD this week, but it's almost like an amount where you could save face, you know, like if it had gotten to like 500, I think he could have maybe argued, eh, you know, but uh, yeah, so it, it's done better than I think people thought it would, but it's also, you know, 
still not great when you're talking about a movie that made $1.1 billion. And then um, uh, another one I kind of want to highlight is The Boys in the Boat, which was George Clooney's movie that I just don't hear anyone talking about. And it similarly like opened very low and it has since made like $44 million domestic somehow. Um, and it just kind of keeps legging out and legging out. And then it's got like an international rollout coming. So that might be like a quiet little success story for MGM there uh, as this kind of rolls out. So, you know, pretty interesting. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the first big box office bust of this year, which is The Book of Clarence. Tell me about how that movie performed. Yeah, and so again, like you want to talk about, like we don't want to frame things irresponsibly at the start, right? But so this was a sort of unique religious epic uh, by a a filmmaker named James Samuel. And uh, I mean, there's no real way to sugarcoat it. It had a rough start. It opened in over 2,000 theaters and made just $2.5 million. It supposedly had a $40 million budget. I mean, that's those are the numbers you start looking at, and you're like, I don't see how this sort of can possibly recover, and it didn't. Uh, and its second weekend, it made just $1.1 million, and I mean, you know, it's well out of the top 10 now. I, I, I mean, this thing's going to make... Uh, I don't know. I mean, it might be very lucky to make $10 million domestic, and... Christian religious epics tend to have very limited overseas appeal for some reason. So I mean, yeah, and and just to say, like, this is not, um, you know, something like uh, I don't know, the, one of those Kirk Cameron religious movies or like uh, no, Sound of Freedom no. or anything like that. It's it's like James Samuel is the director behind a western that came out on Netflix a few years ago called The Harder They Fall, which is a terrific movie. Um, and Book of Clarence is more like a like a comedy almost. I haven't seen it yet. I'm actually planning on seeing it either tonight or tomorrow night, finally catching up with it. But um, like Lakeith Stanfield is in this and it's basically about like a guy who tries to con his way into being a Messiah in the time of Jesus Christ. So it's like, you know, it's not the the typical kind of like religious movie that, um, that, you know, sometimes surprises people with its box office performance when. No. And that was going to be kind of my next point here is that, like what sucks is that like Sony's distributing this and legendary made it. And like all the money that Sony made on like, you know um, anyone, but you like, it's, you know, might risk being lost here. But um, the thing is like these religious movies that we talked a lot about, like sound of freedom and, and like Jesus revolution and some of these movies last year that made a surprising amount of money, but those are like pretty straightforward movies. And it's pretty clear who the who it's for. This is a movie that even when I saw the previews, I'm like, it looked good to me, but I don't really know who like it kind of felt like it was trying to be two things at once. And it and it didn't really end up pitching for either audience. And and mm. that sort of was the risk I think they took. And, you know, it might be one of those things where VOD streaming because Netflix does have that deal with Sony. So this will eventually go to Netflix. It's the kind of movie I could see doing well on Netflix, but I don't know to what degree that can sort of save it. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that, because anyone but you seemed to me like a, a prime example of a movie that, you know, in its early days didn't perform super well, but I just kind of like shrugged my shoulders when I saw that. And I was like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's going to be on Netflix eventually. And then it'll become like the biggest thing on Netflix because it has two super hot people in it. You can throw them up on a tile <laughs> and then it'll be, you know, in the top 10 of Netflix for sure, because it's a big movie that did get an advertising campaign. And Sony has done this over and over again, where it's movie, you know, the Jennifer Lawrence comedy last year, uh, No Hard Feelings did the same thing. So, you know, it just kind of seemed like inevitable that anyone but you was going to be a huge movie on Netflix. And I was thinking the same kind of thing could probably happen for Book of Clarence. But like, has your thinking on that kind of thing evolved at all? Have you gotten any more insight into like, you know, 
what kind of value a studio places on a movie like that popping on Netflix versus making money in theaters or anything? Or are you still sort of in the same camp that you've been in for a while on that? I mean, I'm still in a similar camp. I think, you know, a VOD hit is great. Like, I think like if your movie makes enough money at the box office and then it can kind of like, like what we've seen time and time again, even movies that flop in theaters make more money on VOD. So like, I am still hugely in favor of theatrical releases, even if, it doesn't pan out super well. And I think book of Clarence similarly, even though it is flopped so bad in theaters, it will do better on VOD as a result. And it will probably do better on Netflix as a result to what degree that can make up for a $40 million budget and whatever in a marketing spend. I have no idea. Like those numbers are still wildly not transparent. Uh, But I, I do think there's levels of it where like we, you and I have talked many times and we've seen there are gigantic hits that studios try to say didn't make money. So, you know, when you talk about a movie that clearly didn't make money in theaters, like, I don't know how the studio is going to, I don't know how you're going to try to argue that it was a hit. Because that happens all the time where the studios try to make their failures seem like they did better or they'll eventually, when people want money, try to say that their hits didn't make money. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, it's really crooked and weird, but I still fall in a similar place where, you know, without the physical media market that used to exist and some of these other ancillary revenue streams. Like we talk a lot about cable disappearing, you know, like that used to be a big revenue stream and some of the stuff that, yeah, I, I, I still think like a, a theatrical flop is, is going to have a tough time recovering after the fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about a bunch more box office stuff. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Okay, Ryan, let's get into some more recent things that have hit theaters. Uh, Tell me about the Mean Girls musical. How has that performed so far? You know, uh, this is a good example of uh, something we were sort of just talking about, which is that um, this is a movie that was originally supposed to go to Paramount Plus directly. It was not produced with theatrical in mind. Um, But when the strikes sort of moved a bunch of movies out of 2024, or at least later in the year, Paramount was like, well, let's go ahead and put this in theaters. And they did something similar with Smile in 2022, which became a gigantic hit. And I don't think this movie is going to be as big as Smile, per se, but it has done well. Uh, the Mean Girls musical has topped the charts for the last two weeks. Um, it opened at $28.6 million. Uh, it dropped like 60% in its second week with $11.7 million, so not a great hold, but it has made $50 million domestic and 16.2 internationally, so it's sitting a little over $66 million worldwide. For a movie that was originally just going to go direct to streaming and not make any money uh theatrically that's great it's got a 36 million dollar budget so you know it wasn't like tremendously expensive to make uh so even if it doesn't profit in theaters purely like this can this is going to bring revenue to paramount that they weren't counting on it also it's giving theaters something to show at a time when there is very little yeah Uh, so it's doing it's doing well and i applaud paramount for for you know moving this one um but yeah so i mean it's doing well i mean it's probably got a chance to get a hundred million ish, I think maybe by the end of its run, given okay. which, you know, for a $36 million movie, that's kind of right in the range you'd you like to see. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I want to read uh, a listener email. Um, Lorenzo from Florida wrote in um, reacting to the episode that we did. I think it was, geez, it was, was it two Fridays ago now? Anyway, that we did the, or maybe it was last Friday. It was, anyway, uh, a recent episode that we did about the um, the musical uh, idea from 2004, the other movies that that from that year that could be movie musicals. Um, and basically, Lorenzo was just saying how 50 First Dates would have been his first choice. And he was excited to uh, see that you chose that movie, Ryan, and um, was talking about how great Sandler is. And he also mentioned, he said, uh, I want to take this opportunity to put it on folks' radars that while it's not a musical, there was a magnificent Mexican remake of 50 First Dates that came out a few years ago. It's called Como Si Fuera La Primavera Vez, which translates in English to as if it were the first time. And he says... That's a bit confusing given the original Fifty First Dates was also released in Mexico with that same title. Uh, but he says it swaps out the tropical Hawaiian setting of the original Fifty First Dates for a tropical Dominican Republic setting. It stars Vadir Derbez in the Sandler part. And Vadir is the son of Eugenio Derbez, who is widely considered to be the Mexican Adam Sandler. He even starred alongside Sandler in Jack and Jill. But most U.S. audiences probably know him best at this point from his role as the music teacher in the Best Picture winning Coda, which I know you're a fan of that oh, movie as well. He, oh, he's great. So his son stars in, uh, basically plays the, the Sandler role in a Mexican remake of, of that 51st date. So um, just wanted to put that out there. If for no other reason than just to put it on your radar, Ryan, since it seems like, you know, a confluence of things that you might be interested in. So, Well, I'm, I'm glad uh, someone else had the same wonder idea that i had hollywood <laughs> if you're listening um my fee is modest uh so thanks um, for that email lorenzo appreciate that uh but yeah so so i think the, the only thing i think is worth mentioning is that this mean girls remake is a musical and there's been a lot of chatter about like paramount is not really marketing it as a musical and there was some quote i think it was in an interview with variety where one of the pr people was like yeah i mean we don't want to scare people off you know and like that's exactly what i had sort of thought was going on is that like if you market something explicitly as a musical, you might alienate some people. And I think to that end, another movie we were hailing as a hit a few weeks ago, The Color Purple, has since fallen off a cliff. It had an amazing opening day, uh, made $18 million on Christmas, but it has since kind of gone nowhere. And it's made $59 million domestic in total. And it's now, I mean, it, what in like the barely in the top 20. Mm. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, I mean, it's a hundred million dollar budget, uh, I've heard for that one. So, you know, unfortunately that, and that was marketed pretty explicitly as a musical, uh, or at least a little more explicitly as a musical. Yeah. Just so, barely more, I would say, yeah, yeah. but a little, but it was a little lot more obvious. So I don't, you know, I'm not saying it's certainly not apples to oranges there, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that, it's kind of a bummer situation that sort yeah, of the inverse yeah. of anyone, but you where it started great and fell off, but. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's uh, that's Mean Girls in a nutshell. Uh, what else do we want to talk about here? Uh, tell me about The Beekeeper. We've talked about that movie a little bit on the podcast, but how is it actually performed? I would love to talk about The Beekeeper, Ben. Um, I uh, uh, Currently, uh, as far as movies released in 2024, The Beekeeper is the number one movie worldwide. Um, it has made uh, $75 million worldwide, uh, including $31 million domestic and $44.2 million internationally. It opened at number two with 16.5 million, uh, declined, uh, had, had a better hold than Mean Girls, uh, declined just 49%, uh, made 8.4 million uh, domestic in its recent weekend, uh, directed by David Ayer, starring Jason Statham, big silly action movie, and uh, audiences seem to be into it. Okay, so how does this stack up for Ayer's filmography? 
Well, uh, what I was kind of surprised last week when I was looking over this, because the numbers were good in the opening weekend, is that this is the first theatrical success that David Ayer has had since Suicide Squad in 2016. Um, which, like, shocking to me, because, like, look, I'm not, we don't need to get into a debate about Suicide Squad and, and what you know, it, it being good, bad, whatever. Like, the movie made... $745 million worldwide and won an Oscar. Like you, he should have very quickly either been on that sequel or another big movie or something. And instead he, you know, he made, um, Oh, what was the, the tax Wright. collector with Shia LaBeouf? Right. But then he made bright for Netflix, which was like the big Will Smith fantasy movie that like it made, it did well, but then it was kind of here today, gone tomorrow that tax collector movie exactly with Shia LaBeouf, which came out around 2020, hardly registered for most people. Um, yeah, it's just been like a weird run for him. So he's finally kind of getting to celebrate a success story now, like seven and a half years after he made a gargantuan blockbuster hit. And I, I think that's, you know, good for him. Like he had a rough, a bit of a rough thing there. And it's also good for Statham still like, managing to just keep these like mid-budget action movies going like he's been doing this for a long time and he's still got appeal and you know it's it's like I, this is kind of doing almost exactly what i thought it would do which was sort of like john wick numbers uh the first john wick anyway and uh yeah i i think you know this is like it, again at a time when theaters have almost nothing going right now this is very welcome and good so um so you, you know, think it's enough for a sequel yeah i think it's i think it's trending that way especially because uh, this is an MGM release and Amazon owns MGM now. So if all MGM releases going forward are not quite as beholden to needing to deliver like straight up profit at the box office, because ultimately these will go to prime video. And that is something that Amazon, you know, they just, they bought MGM to, to get prime video output. And yes, they're being smart and giving these movies wide theatrical releases, but you know, at the end of the day, they're going to, they're going to go to streaming. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I think it might. Uh, and especially because, like I said, it's holding a little better than like Mean Girls was. So the audience response seems to be pretty healthy. And depending on how it goes in the coming weeks, I would say I still the budget for this one still hasn't been revealed, which is like kind of driving me nuts. But I, I got to <laughs> imagine it's like 40 million or less. So, you know, if it gets to what, like 120 worldwide, which is not off the table at this point, like you could easily justify a sequel. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about uh, a new movie that just came out recently called ISS, which is a, a sci-fi thriller. And I would not be surprised if a lot of our listeners had never heard of this movie, had no idea it was out. It's it gotten like a very, very limited, at least from what I've seen, uh, marketing push. I mean, um, I got to say that trailer played an awful lot in theaters for me. Like when I was Oh, it did. Theater, okay. Yeah, it played. Uh, but uh, this is a uh, did you see this by chance? I did. Yes. I, I, I quite liked it. I saw it on Friday night. I very much sort of like ostensibly plays like a slasher movie at the International Space Station, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a Bleecker Street release and Bleecker Street does not like this is a distributor that does not really they don't really deliver big theatrical hits. They've had a couple of like, you know, what you might call like a single to use a baseball reference. Like mm -hmm. but they, they don't really they kind of do the IFC midnight thing where they're releasing movies in theaters to what I presume is kind of promote the inevitable VOD release. Um, but this was the only wide release movie this most recent weekend. And it only made $3 million, um, which was actually at the top end of estimates. Uh, so like, you know, 
it might be okay. I don't know what Bleecker Street invested in it. Again, this is another movie where I could not find the budget anywhere. Uh, having seen it, if they were clever with the space shots, probably it could be a $25 million movie, mm-hmm. I would guess. But, you know, even a $3 million opening is not going to, you know, again, you're not going to profit in theaters that way. Um, and again, some of these numbers, I'm just guessing. I can only, you know, some things, certain things surprise me budget-wise. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's... Uh, look anything to get people in theaters right now but yeah this one just didn't this is kind of the problem right now is these are the movies you're sort of propping up the box office with and that's not really enough you know to to sort of sustain theaters right now so that's kind of the sad state of affair of things yeah i do have a feeling that this movie is going to get you know it's going to find its audience on vod like this definitely seems like yeah one of those things that you know the the tile and the premise of it like you know people are scrolling through looking for something to watch they're going to fire this up at home i I have no doubt i completely agree and i do think this is an example of like the theatrical release like the handful of people like me that go see it and are like oh this movie's dope it will that little bit of word of mouth will help push this movie streaming vod so i think if this movie didn't cost a fortune, which I don't believe that it did, this is an example of like that sort of mixed release model probably working. Mm-hmm. Um, but a- again, it all depends. I don't know if this was Bleecker Street saying, let's try our hands at a marketable blockbuster. Like, I have no idea. They acquired the movie, so I don't know what the... But yes, but you know, it's not for theaters that need product right now. It's not helping a ton. That's the bigger issue. Yeah. Okay. So you are in the process as as we record this uh, right now of writing an article called the 2024 box office is off to a rough start and it won't get better anytime soon. Tell me about like the the premise of that article. Yeah. So let's, again, you know, this is something if regular listeners of the podcast, this should not surprise you. We were a little concerned about what was going to happen this year. And uh, Comscore is sort of the Kelly blue book of like box office stuff. They're the, you know, unquestioned like source for these numbers. Uh, They're currently stating that the domestic box office is down 10% compared to 2023 at this time. And uh, so that's 10% down. And, And again, as we've talked about a lot, the box office is still, even last year, which was a good year, was still largely recovering from the pandemic. We were on an upward swing, but we needed to keep that momentum going. So we're already down, which is bad. The bigger problem is that the next few weeks are bleak. Mm-hmm. They look bad uh, to, to a degree that I didn't even realize. Um, so, like, yeah, these, like, for example, this upcoming weekend, the only real major release worth noting is the black and white version of Godzilla minus one, which I I'm probably going to go see it because I love that movie, but I don't think it's going to move the needle all that much. Mm -hmm. And then it's not till February 2nd where we have Argyle, which is the new Matthew Vaughn movie from Apple, which I I think everyone has seen that trailer 150,000 times now. (laughs) Um, a movie that I think its prospects are very uncertain. Like, I, I don't know. It, is that going to be a $60, $70 million opening weekend? I don't think so. So, you know, then if Madam Web bombs, like, it's not really till the beginning of March when Dune Part 2 arrives that we have any real honest-to-God hope on the horizon. So, I mean, February's looking rough right now. Yeah. Um, you know, there are movies that we're looking forward to, like Lisa Frankenstein, I think might do okay for its audience. I think, uh, you know, Winnie the Blue, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2 might actually pop for its audience a little bit. That Bob Marley movie, I have no idea. You got Drive Away Dolls, which is the, um, 
is it Ethan or yep. Ethan, yeah, Cohen, Ethan Cohen, yep. uh, which again could do fine, but these are not going to prop up theaters for an entire month. Yeah. It's so, a small movie. So, I mean, yeah, things. So, I, so by the time you get to March, how down is the box office going to be compared to last year? Um, I don't know. So then you're sort of relying on, you know, movies like Dune Part 2, Kung Fu Panda 4, Imaginary, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire to like overperform relative to expectations to try to make up for things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So pretty rough. Well, uh, I don't really know how to end that on a positive note, Ryan, because it, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of positivity there. I, I do want to ask about Madam Web, though. Like you follow the superhero stuff pretty closely, certainly more closely than I do. Are we still only at one trailer for Madam Web, even though it comes out in like basically like three weeks or something? Yeah, one, right? one full length trailer. There's been some pretty fun marketing if you follow the internet well like there was like an ocean spray bottle that revealed uh dakota johnson's like full costume um and so there's been like weird international stuff and like and and they released a batch of character posters last week and they're still touting that february 14th release date so like i thought they might move it um but that's not happening now so uh yeah i don't know I, i my my guess is they might they might release one here in the next week or two. I, I can't, I, I wonder like there's the NFC and AFC NFL championship games next week. Like, Oh yeah. Maybe they would drop a spot during that. I don't know, but I don't want to speculate too much here, but I'm also wondering if, if Sony is not feel super confident in the film and they might not want to invest a ton, you know, cause that like a marketing campaign costs a lot of money. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Are they, minimizing risk i have no idea I, i'm just guessing a little bit but um it is a bit odd for a superhero movie of that size to have a, a marketing campaign this sort of this quiet late this in the quiet. game right? yeah but but what i've heard is that sony has kept the budget for these low uh i've heard that they're like under 100 million and possibly as low as like 70 or 80 million which is pretty low for a superhero movie yeah if that's true you know good but also that seems to be a movie that like the industry is kind of like, please, Madam Webb, Madam Webb, save us. And <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I'm, if your question was, is it a little quiet? It's quiet as hell. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll be back later this week to talk about um, a bunch of other stuff, news, and we'll have a, a water cooler this week, I think. Um, Sundance is, the Sundance Film Festival is going on right now. Uh, Bill Bria is there in person for us. Um, me and Chris Mangelista are going to be covering some stuff um, remotely, uh, through the, the sort of online portion of the festival, which really kicks off in earnest uh, this Wednesday. So um, Chris and I will be busy Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, watching as many uh, Sundance movies and, and screeners and stuff like that as we can get our hands on. So I'm not sure exactly what the schedule for the podcast is going to look like. I'm going to do my best to have at least a news episode and a water cooler episode for you guys this week. Um, but if we drop a couple days here and there, that's why. And we'll be back with like a Sundance specific episode um, certainly next week to um, to wrap up our coverage of the fest and, and let you guys know like what the, the coolest stuff that we saw and all that was. So uh, yeah, that'll do it for today's episode. You can find more about all these stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter. There is a uh, link for that in the show notes. 
please send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That does help us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.